So today we're talking about uh, test nets and privacy. So let's start things off with uh, test nets because it's a good concept for everyone to remember and they're constantly being uh, set up. And so I thought maybe we'd mention a few, uh, but test nets for those who may not be aware, uh, AKA test networks, they're set up and they're used as uh, simulated environments so that the features uh, and bugs as well can be tested out and figured out for these uh, new protocols. Um, it's really just a test area to put a protocol through its paces. And, uh, you know, you want to maximize the user experience before this new software gets pushed out into production, which is also called the uh, mainnet. So uh, the protection of a simulated environment really allows this new software to be pushed to its limits uh, without risking the loss of thousands or millions of dollars of coins, tokens, and actual funds. I've, uh, I've messed around in, in one of them. I think it was the Stash app. Well, it wasn't their main, their test net, but, um, uh, but yeah, it's kind of nice. You get some fake tokens and you can mess around a little bit and it's kind of freeing to be able to actually uh, uh, test out some of these protocols without having to constantly worry about bankrupting yourself. But uh, these are really important. Um, obviously a lot of these protocols, a lot of them just kind of die off. A lot of them, uh, frankly, end up being run by fraudsters. And so when really at this stage with these, uh, crypto protocols, you're looking for a team you can trust. And one of the signs is that you have a team that you can trust is when they run a successful test net. That can be a signal to the community of the project's health. It might encourage more confidence and buy-in from investors, customers, and developers. Um, there, and there's elements of a strong test net we can get into. But um, uh, I also wanted to mention, before I kick it over to you, Bud, um, that incentivization is actually a big part of test nets now. After all, uh, while we have an interest in using some of these new protocols, uh, being motivated to actually go in and test it like a beta tester is becoming more and more common. So you can go in, you can test, you can report bugs, and you might even get some coins out of it. So I'm curious if you have personally uh, partake, partaken in any of these test nuts, incentivized or not. <coughs> so I have, but I don't remember exactly what ones. I know that we only did two, and I feel like we talked about on our little private discord it was either the juno that we were messing around with or i think it might have been jackal initially or alter i, I don't know which one it was i'm just throwing out names <laughs> but i know that it was one of them and the big thing like you just brought up the incentivized test nets like that's really how you get people to say you know realize that you're a serious blockchain and you're trying to figure stuff out before you might lose your customers, you know, millions of dollars. So incentivizing participants to like even developers or just users or random people that don't really know a lot, like, you know, the beta can break in a lot of different ways before it gets released into the mainnet. So it's mm -hmm. important for everybody to participate regardless of, you know, your knowledge or what you're doing, because you may uncover something. And like you said, I mean, they, I think they, uh, we were talking about what the was it the the game of zones in 2020 that they mm -hmm. released before they were launching the IBC and they gave away like a hundred thousand atom, which is you know no small stack. That's almost you know what four mil, three mil today. But um, yeah, no, mm -hmm. it's I highly encourage everybody to 
uh, you know, learn your protocols. And if they come out with test nets, definitely stress test them because you want to find out the flaws before they're released. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really handy measuring stick uh, for a lot of investors because a lot of times people will say, well, if you have questions about the protocol at the end of the day, you can always go to the GitHub page uh, because it's open source. And for a lot of us, we are not experts at code and even experts miss some of the gaps in code. And so, yeah, a lot of times we're looking for signs that the people running these projects are serious and to it's one thing to market a project. It's one thing to set up a test net and it's another thing to actually be able to participate yourself. And so, um, yeah, it can be really good signs. You, you mentioned a good one, uh, game of zones for, uh, cosmos. They've done a couple and, uh, you know, they're, I, I think it's fair to say they're legit, uh, worked out for them. Uh, but this article also listed several other cosmos, uh, apps that are launching their, test nets and i don't want to go through them all please see the article if you're interested but i did want to highlight one uh called pylons so this is it appears to be or the intention is to make this the flagship nft platform for cosmos uh they want to provide a fully functional software development kit so that people can uh quickly and easily build mobile experiences and nft projects uh through mobile and uh on cosmos so they're advertising no gas fees, fully commission-based. Uh, their focus is on mobile functionality, which is um, one area I think crypto generally can definitely improve in. Um, and their first incentivized testnet is actually coming up. So um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that there. Uh, if you're interested in participating in a testnet and maybe even being rewarded for it, that's a, that's a good place to start. Definitely. And keep your eye out for the, you know, test nets and the companies and blockchains that are coming up that are incentivizing, like putting money in for people to find flaws, because that shows a lot of initiative compared to just releasing a new website and having a crash and everybody be shit out of luck. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, and if you're still listening, please like the show, subscribe. And if you can tell a friend about it. Uh, but I think we're halfway. So why don't you cover what you brought today? Word. So my article is how can you stay private in crypto today? Um, you know, as everybody kind of knows, if you're listening in, the crypto movement has created kind of a different path to financial freedom outside of the traditional finance market. But while crypto has boosted benefits like financial inclusivity and transparency, they're miles and miles behind on preserving the user's privacy on the blockchain. And this is where privacy preserving networks like Secret and Monero come into play alongside some different coin mixers. I'm going to highlight a couple of things about the Secret Network, which the crypto chem team is fairly high on and thinks, you know, largely of. Uh, Secret is Turing complete, which means that it can handle smart contracts like Ethereum, Solana, or any other like blockchain. But what Secret is, you know, not focusing on, but one of their main focuses is the thought of Secret Finance which is comprised of DeFi applications enabled by privately encrypted smart contracts. So basically how Secret Network keeps your information a secret is they preserve the privacy by encrypting the input state and the output of all transactions. And these private smart contracts offer a bunch of advantages compared to the public ones. But one of the main ones that if you're trading crypto, you've heard of this before is 
it's more resistant to front running since transactions are never visible in the mempool. And front running is basically just kind of commonly referred to as a sandwich attack where miners or other users can't extract value through the MEV, which is maximal extractable value. But that refers to the profits made by kind of reordering, inserting, or censoring transactions so that one person has an unfair advantage. Um, another pro-secret point is the private smart contracts. They kind of act as encrypted black boxes, which means they can handle sensitive data without the risk of broadcasting it publicly. Um, and this allows uh, all the other private blockchain networks and, you know, De uh, not DeFi, but the applications being built on top of secret opens up for their operations to run on top of it and, you know, only adds to the interoper interoperability of the different networks. But the other big thing that's being used right now are coin mixers, which you might have heard with, uh, what was it, those people that stole all of that money like three months ago in New York. What was her name? The rapper. You remember that, Jake? Razzlecon. Razzlecon. <laughs> but yeah, she, uh, I think they use Tornado Cash, which is one of the ones listed along with Coin CoinJoin. And Tornado Cash is basically a mixing process that's handled through smart contracts made, by, made possible on Ethereum. Whereas CoinJoin is basically a place for multiple users to collaborate to get Bitcoin sent between them and kind of wash trade it, but it anonymizes it. And uh, the initial problem with the coin join was finding enough orders who wanted, finding enough clients who wanted to mix their coins because it was low liquidity to start, which honestly, like not all DeFi applications have an issue with right now, but that's a common startup problem. But um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about all this, Jake? Obviously we're high on privacy, but. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and, and it's clearly not like privacy doesn't come in just one package. And uh, we can get into like the trade-offs between risk, uh, like privacy and security. But, um, you know, there there seems to be with some of the uh, examples you listed, there's the approach to anonymizing the person, like the users, the sender and the receiver. And then there's anonymizing uh, what's being sent, the actual data. And uh, I think there's a genuine like uh, risk here because as we've been talking about, there's a lot of um, uh, regulation coming down the pipeline. And while I think the Biden executive order uh, was high, like emphasized that privacy is an elemental part, there is a risk that by th these projects that anonymize people and users, try to make it harder to assign who has what money, that that might actually be targeted by regulators because at the end of the day, the government wants to know, like they, they're gonna tell you like, well, at the very least, we need to know what you have. Uh, because a lot of these protocols, frankly, have been very useful to money launderers and other illicit activities. And that's an even higher priority uh, to stamp that out than privacy. So I, I kind of like secrets networks because um, they focus on uh, privatizing like the data that's being sent and uh, which I think makes a little more sense. I mean, yes, we would all like complete anonymity, but that's not really realistic in my eyes. So at the very least, like you might know that I'm sending this, but you don't know what it is. And so for me, that effectively accomplishes most of the value of privacy. Um, and 
yeah, the upshot is a, uh, I think a secret, you know, they have the private keys. So in case, you know, it comes time to file your taxes, you, you don't have to completely spill the beans to everyone. You can provide authorized users to see uh, your activity, to say uh, legally compliant. But uh, yeah, there's just two different approaches, anonymizing the users versus anonymizing the, uh, the data and the activity. So interesting to see what is going to end up being allowed in the long term. Yeah, I would think, you know, I would hope that they have more issues with anonymizing the users than anonymizing the transactions, because like you said, with secret, like you just get to choose, you have the choice of who sees your private data. It doesn't mean that it's not there. It just means that it, you have the key and you can show who you want. So I think that's a lot different, you know, when it comes to government regulation or whatever it may be, you know, you get called in for a lawsuit and whatever else. But my big thing is like, just what, and it, it might not even be the United States, but this is just what I'm talking to. What we've become accustomed to data privacy wise over the last 20, 30 years mm -hmm. is just abhorrent. Like, I feel like even with as bad as it is and how much the common person doesn't think about how their privacy is being utilized and sold on like, you know, tertiary and secondary markets, we don't think about that, but then you look at China and like what they're doing with their CBDC and their facial recognition and their citizen scores. And I mean, there's a real dark future if we just publicize everything. Like there has to be some sort of human elements, which in my eyes is, you know, privacy. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, give people a choice. I think that's, again, why I'm kind of encouraged. Uh, one of the reasons I'm encouraged by that executive order was that uh, there's a space to allow these privacy tools to allow people to have options. And, uh, you know, if you don't care that all your data is being tracked, like, whatever, like, I wish I could convince you otherwise, but that's your choice. But <laughs> having several options, uh, uh, it's, it's a good thing. So um, I will say that mixers, I. I don't know what the future of those looks like, but um, I know there's some risk there just with uh, trusting the protocols, but just the idea of uh, one of them, I forget which name is like, you can, you don't have to set up, you don't have to find like partners to like uh, combine your money with in a mixer. There's one of these protocols you can just kind of drop your money in and then you can come by with a different wallet. And then if you have the, the right access key, you can, uh, just uh, be like, oh, okay, well, you're due whatever is in this package. Um, no, I, I, I like the ideas, I, all of them, really. They're, they're, uh, they're just, uh, <laughs> I just don't know how long of a life they have. Yeah, no, and I think the one, the one that I used to use was Shapeshift um, okay. back in like 2016, 2017. I haven't used that in a few years. But that's kind of the difference between CoinJoin and Tornado Cash is Tornado Cash is like smart contracts, finding other mm -hmm. users and selling and buying and anonymizing it. Whereas CoinJoin started as like, not OTC, but like, hey, here's five Bitcoin people that want to watch their stuff. Let's all put it in here and send it to another. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Just yeah. different networks. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of options right now. So, I mean, you kind of, you do have some some choices as a, as a customer, consumer, investor. So, um yeah, there's a few that we highlighted, but uh, well, I think we're just about up on time, but I uh, appreciate everyone hopping on today. Uh, great to talk to you today, Mike. Oh, yeah, you as well. All right. See ya.